Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Don Simborg will join us to discuss what comes after Homo sapiens. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, will natural selection no longer lead to the next iteration of Homo sapiens? Will instead the next human species emerge as a result of the convergence of two technologies, artificial intelligence and genetic engineering? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Don Simborg. Dr. Simborg is the author of the new book, What Comes After Homo Sapiens? When and How Our Species Will Evolve into Another Species. Dr. Simborg is a graduate of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and former faculty member at both the Johns Hopkins and University of California. San Francisco Schools of Medicine. He's the founder of two electronic medical record companies and was a founding member of the American College of Medical Informatics. Again, his new book is entitled What Comes After Homo Sapiens? When and How Our Species Will Evolve into Another Species. And Dr. Simborg, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, certainly a very fascinating book. Uh, you've written What Comes After Homo Sapiens. How did you become interested in this issues? Well, as you uh, said in your introduction, I'm a academic physician and uh, have always had an interest in, in science in general and particularly genetics and genomics and some interest uh, over the years in human evolutionary biology. But as you, you also said, I have been heavily involved in medical technology. I was a computer programmer when I was in medical school, so I've been doing technology work for a long time, did it throughout my medical career, did some studies uh, electrocardiology using uh, computers, and then ultimately medical decision-making and electronic medical records. So all of these, uh, this combination, science and technology, has, uh, turns out to have a big impact on the evolution of our species going forward. So those two things have brought me uh, to uh, study this problem, particularly after I retired. So I spent the last five years uh, researching the question of how the convergence of some of these technologies is going to alter uh, the evolution of humans into the next species, and have come to a couple of uh, conclusions from that research, uh, which I'll share with you to get this started. Uh, first, as you mentioned already, there is going to be another human species uh, in a relatively short time, evolutionarily speaking, uh, short time being roughly two to three centuries. That sounds like a long time, but in evolutionary terms, it's just a blink of an eye. The most important conclusion is that uh, it won't happen the way we came into being through Darwinian natural selection. We, human, Homo sapiens, we're going to create this next species using our tools, and the most important tools in that regard are going to be artificial intelligence and genetic engineering. 
And, and why is it that the natural forces of selection continue to operate, or they're just not operating at the same rate that the new technologies will? Well, that, that's a good question. Uh, actually, in the last, let's say, 10,000 years, we've got evidence that Darwinian natural selection uh, and evolution is having an impact on Homo sapiens. Uh, we, we have changed. A good example of that is uh, lactose tolerance, uh, or lactose intolerance uh, has changed, uh, particularly in Europe. Most people of Europe now uh, are lactose tolerant as adults. Now, that wasn't true before the agricultural evolution when we started domesticating cows. So that's been a change in our genetic uh, makeup and the way our genes operate. There's many other examples. So evolution is continuing. The problem is, and what's changed dramatically, is that in the last, let's say, 100 years, that process has uh, slowed down dramatically for two reasons. Homo sapiens have been on Earth about 250,000 to 300,000 years. It took that long, let's say 300,000 years, for us to reach a population of one billion people. It's only taken 100 years to get up to six to seven billion people. So this dramatic exponential increase in our population means that we are now one big human species throughout the world that interacts, interbreeds, is very mobile, and there isn't the opportunity that there used to be in our past when, when human species evolved for isolated pockets to diverge in evolution. That can't occur. We can't have what's called allopatric uh, speciation anymore in our species. So that's one big change. The second big change is that we keep everybody alive, or almost everybody alive, through childbearing bearing age when that wasn't true 100, 200, and 1,000 years ago. Part of Darwinian natural selection involves people with bad genes to die off before they can have children. That doesn't happen as much anymore as it used to. So that's another reason Darwinian natural selection doesn't really work as fast as it used to in the human population. If you couple that with what we're doing in the genome, and particularly genetic engineering, we're going to usurp that process much more rapidly than Darwinian evolution can happen. So we're going to be making changes that are going to lead to other kinds of speciation of, of humans much more rapidly than Darwinian evolution will ever have a chance. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people might be able to see how genetic engineering certainly will play a role since we're, we're affecting the DNA. You also argue artificial intelligence is also playing a role, and that might seem a little less clear to how that will actually change uh, us as a species. Yeah, that you're right. It, it, it isn't as obvious. Obviously, genetic engineering changes our genes, and that's uh, how uh, speciation will occur. So what's the role of of artificial intelligence. If you look at, we're, we're in our infancy with artificial intelligence. Actually, we are with genetic engineering as well. What we're doing so far in artificial intelligence is what I call IA rather than AI. AI is artificial intelligence. IA is intelligence augmentation. So if you look at what we're doing in using 
AI or artificial intelligence in our computers today. It's helping us drive cars. You know, everybody talks about autonomous car driving, uh, autonomous vehicles. What's really happening today is not replacing the human in the automobile, but augmenting the human, augmenting our intelligence. So that's many commercial vehicles today have AI operating in the car to give you warnings or to even stop the car in case uh, you know some obstruction occurs. Uh, we use IA, intelligence augmentation, in game playing and playing chess or in playing any other games. We use it in internet searches. We use it in... Uh, you know, in many parts of our life today. That part of artificial intelligence will make us dramatically better at learning the genome. The genome is probably the second most complicated biological entity on Earth, the first being the human brain. The genome is very complicated. We thought we knew a lot about it once we did the Human Genome Project, uh, which was completed in 2003, but that was just the beginning. It's really the epigenome, the epigenetics that make all the difference in humans when we compare us to, say, chimpanzees or other species. That's very, very complicated, and it's going to take some time that our genetic engineering will understand the side effects of making a change in a gene that have great potential in modifying other parts of other parts than what you think you're changing. AI is going to be the enabler to get us to the point where we'll get beyond the type of genetic engineering we're experimenting with today to ultimately get to what we call germline genetic engineering, which I think is going to take probably a full century to get there. So AI is an enabler of making genetic engineering much more effective, much more safe, and ultimately more acceptable. Right, right today, there's tremendous resistance to even thinking about doing germline genetic engineering. The genetic engineering we're doing today is, is only on individuals. It doesn't change any genes like your sperm or, or the eggs that get passed on to the children. So we're only doing experiments on genetic engineering that would change a single individual today. That will change, and AI is going to help us change that. What about AI as, as a true augmenter of human in terms of things like brain-machine interfaces? Well, you're asking a question, uh, AI going to do something more than just augment you know, the way we make decisions, the way we learn things, and the, may we, the way we look for things. So there are uh, many people, I think you probably know about Ray Kurzweil. So his uh, vision is that we'll have a point in time, he predicts it'll happen in 2045, when we'll be using nanotechnology, uh, little microscopic computer chips that will populate our brains and communicate directly with computers uh, wirelessly and, in essence, download the information we have in our brain into a computer. Once it's in the computer, this information, it can be enhanced because computer has much more access to information throughout the, the whole Internet than the human brain does. It will get enhanced, and it can communicate back to these little nanobots, little microscopic chips in your human brain. Now, this is not science fiction. This has got some, uh, you know, a firm basis in 
technologies that we have today. Whether it really happened by 2045 is doubtful to many people. It's doubtful to me. But I think ultimately it will happen. Uh, there are other people. Elon Musk is starting a company that uh, is developing what's called a neural lace. It's kind of like another a set of microtechnologies that will populate the human brain and interface with the computer. I think these are longer in our future, longer distance in our future than Kurzweil and Elon Musk say, but those two gentlemen I think are probably much smarter than me, so maybe I'm wrong about that. So when will we know that a new species has arisen? What will be the characteristics of it, do you think? And how do you think us as homo sapiens will interact with them? Well, that's a question uh, that we've asked in the past. Do you understand that having two human species uh, on Earth at the same time is the normal condition? As, like I said, we've been around about 300,000 years. 90% of that time, there have been other human species on Earth simultaneously that we've interacted with. Now, I think it will likely be different this time than, let's say, our interaction with the Neanderthals, which happened maybe 40,000 years ago. The new human species that I envision, that I predict from my research, will look and act identical to you and me, because you won't be able to tell the difference between them by just looking at them or talking to them. There'll be all the same variations, all the different races and so on will have uh, this, these new species. The difference will be that because of the genetic engineering change we've made in some of them and some of the people, they won't be able to interbreed with us. There'll be some reason that the children or the, I mean, they'll, they'll even be able to have sex with us, and like we did with the Neanderthals, but the children won't be viable. That is, the pregnancies won't carry. And that's what really defines a new species, the inability to interbreed between the species. So we'll have a population amongst us that will only be able to have children with themselves rather than with the ones that weren't genetically modified in the same way. At first you won't be able to tell the difference. But because they will have this barrier to interbreeding, over time they will evolve differently. We don't know how different or what that will be because that, that, that will be determined randomly by many different factors. But over, let's say, hundreds of years, there will be differences that could become much more apparent and could have conflict even. We don't, we don't know the answer to your question. The, the initial answer will be there won't be conflict. It'll be the same. Now, that's probably different than what happened, let's say, when we and the Neanderthals coexisted, let's say, in Europe. That was a different, different situation because our emergence as Homo sapiens happened in a different place. The Neanderthals were already in Europe thousands and thousands of years before Homo sapiens got there. We developed in Africa, and we subsequently migrated out of Africa, and then over thousands of years gradually bumped into the Neanderthals, who already were there. Uh, and also that would be true of another species called the Denisovans. It's a little 
unclear what really happened there, but it's clearly a different mechanism. It isn't as though we sort of arose in their midst like our next species will be. Historical case of us interacting with the other human species like the Neanderthals was we were more like an invasive species coming into their territory and competing with them. And ultimately, we succeeded in outcompeting them, and that's why we survived and they didn't. If you want to learn more about the work you've done and maybe some of the other ideas concerning the evolution of Homo sapiens, where do you think they can go? Well, if you go to my website, www.whatcomesafterhomosapiens.com, I take you on what's called the journey. The journey is sort of what was my journey. How did I learn all this? Where did, where did my research take me? And it took me fascinating places, fascinating people. And I list all of them on the website, and I have a little page on each one. And then you can, you can get a start as to you know, what kind of people might you look up or what kind of reading might you do, what books might you, might you read, read about. And there's many of them because this topic doesn't have a single expert. There are so many different possibilities. You can talk to Jennifer Doudna at the University of California who, who uh, discovered CRISPR, the tool we now use to do a lot of our genetic engineering. Or you can talk to Savante Pabo, in, uh, who's the uh, German scientist who learned how to study the genome of extinct species. That's how we know, for instance, that we had sex with the Neanderthals. Uh, or you can talk to uh, Ann Gibbons, who's a science writer for uh, Science Magazine. Or I mean, the list is, is very long. There, there are anthropologists, there are neurosciences like Ray Kurzweil, there are uh, genetic engineers, there are genomics experts, there are nanotechnology experts. So this is a broad topic covers many different sciences and if you go to my uh, website you can see all the different people uh, that you might want to talk to or read about or go to their websites and learn about this. Well, it is a fascinating topic. I certainly hope people will take a look. Uh, the new book is called What Comes After Homo Sapiens? When and How Our Species Will Evolve into Another Species. The author is Dr. Don Simborg. And uh, Dr. Simborg, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great. I've enjoyed it. Talk to you later. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.